Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. We are going to transition the stage and we're going to do a little something different. I want to have you to have a little food for thought so you can turn and share this information with your neighbor. You can think about it in your head. I want you to think about a gathering you had with at least one other person that was meaningful to you. Okay. So go ahead and share, write it down. Think about it. Think about a gathering Like you could have gone to King's Island or a concert or had a dinner party. Think of some gathering with others that was meaningful. Ready, go. Today, I wanted to introduce you to Priya Parker in a book called The Art of Gathering. I first learned about Priya on a podcast, of course. It's my running theme. You guys get it. But Priya is a conflict resolution person. Like that's what she studied. And she has done like peace talks in the Middle East, and she has dealt with racial reconciliation conversation on college campuses, and she's helped her friends have better dinner parties. Like, this is the kind of person she is, is to try to bring people together. She was from a very different background where her parents were very different people, and so she lived in different environments and different values growing up, and so she tries to look around and say, what is the purpose of your gathering? If you were going to get together for something huge, a corporate event, or something as small as inviting people into your home for a dinner, why? She said, that's where you start. She's like, a lot of times people think about the logistics. And of course, you want to have a beautiful setting. And of course, you might want to make everything perfect in food. But she's like, I need you to start with the why. And so she said, sometimes the why might seem obvious. For example, your birthday party might be to celebrate your birthday. Like that seems obvious, but she says, try to be specific. Like this year, maybe your purpose is to surround yourself with the people who bring out the best in you. And that informs your invitation. If you're going to go to a family reunion, maybe that seems obvious. But she helped a friend discover that that year, their purpose was to convene the next generation after their grandfather had died. And so it changed the point. It changed the purpose when they focused on the why. She even says, if you're going to have a church small group, you might just say, because you want people to get to know each other. But she's like, focus in on having a trusted circle of friends to share struggles with. She's like, the closer you define your gatherings, the better. So she had a friend. She had a friend, and we're going to call her Sierra. And this person said, I'm going to have some people over for dinner. So Priya says, why? And she said, well, because they invited me over for dinner, so I'm going to repay them. And Priya's like, that's great. Why don't you choose a better purpose? So they got to talking, and the more conversation they had, this friend Sierra said, you know, I realized that over the years, we used to have these fabulous conversations with people. But she said, now we kind of work at home and the kids are grown, so I don't meet other parents. And she's like, now I just feel like I see the same people 
And I have the same conversations. And I miss things that challenge me. And Priya says, you've got a good why there. You want to get to know new people? You want to have challenging conversation? Start your dinner party there. So Sierra invited six different people to her home. Two she knew well and four she didn't know well. She said they were a mix of immigrants and native-born Americans. And she herself was a second-generation American. And she wanted to talk about the concept of home. What does home mean? And so her husband began the dinner party with this. He said, when my mother recently passed away, I realized that visiting her was my last connection to my birth country and that my orientation to home had changed. And so they looked at everyone around the dinner table and said, what do you think that home is for you? That's a heavy question for a dinner party, right? But she said it engaged in purposeful conversation. They suddenly had just tears flowing, laughter going. It focused in this dinner party to the why, to a purpose. And she said, even weeks later, she got an email that said, I'm still thinking about our dinner conversation. My husband and I talked about it on the way home. Our children are talking about it together. She said, thank you for making our gathering meaningful. So that's why I wanted us to think about things that were meaningful to us. And perhaps the reason why the thing that you thought about Maybe why it was meaningful to you was about the why. Maybe it was never spoken out loud, but you felt that there was a purpose to connect with others. Now, Jesus, he always acted with purpose. He gathered people, and he had a why behind everything he did. But today, we're going to read about several occasions when the religious leaders of the day asked Jesus, why? Why are you doing what you're doing? And the answers might give us a different pause about the concept of why. So let's look in Luke chapter 5 today. We're going to head to the end of Luke chapter 5 and go into the beginning of Luke chapter 6. And while you're getting there, if you want to follow along, I'll just recap that we are in our Journey of the Redeemed series. We have been watching Jesus begin his ministry. And we've seen that he's done everything from heal people, to call people to be his followers. And he chose some, you know, unexpected people. And he keeps getting called out, critiqued by the religious leaders of the day. And that's going to happen here again. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 5 says, The Pharisees said to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And in those days, they will fast. Well, as the saying goes, in order to break a rule, we've got to learn it first, right? So let's look at this concept of fasting. What was the problem here? Why did the Jewish people practice fasting? Why did the religious leaders have a problem that Jesus wasn't fasting? Well, the first example would be one reason you could fast would be in repentance, confession. And in 1 Samuel 7, we learn about the prophet Samuel, who said all of Israel was having issues. And so he gathered them all together in order to repent before the Lord. 
And it said, on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Well, that's what John the Baptist was doing, and that's what the Pharisees were pointing out. They're like, John's over here. He's saying fast. Because John was talking about changing your internal heart, confessing. And so then he was like, part of that was fasting. Okay, well, that's a good thing. But then another reason that you might fast is mourning the loss of someone. 2 Samuel 1, David, we've talked about him before, and all the men with him. David was a military man. He was surrounded by military men. It says they tore their clothes, mourned, wept, and fasted when Saul and his son Jonathan died. So the previous king, when he died, this king had tried to kill David, but in this moment, he mourned his death. And part of that mourning was fasting. So there's another example. The reason why you might fast would be in grief. A third reason, a third reason to fast might be to call out to God and seek his intercession. To say, come God, we, we're asking something of you. We have, we had gone through a study called Now But Not Yet. And if you were with us, you remember that we looked at Daniel, we looked at Esther and Ezra, and each one of these people we can read about fasted before God in order to call on him and ask something of him. So Daniel, in chapter 9, when the Jewish people had been in exile for so long, it says he pleaded with God in prayer, petition, and fasting because he was asking God to free his people. And Esther, while the Jewish people were still in exile, they were going to be killed. There was a plot to annihilate them all. And Esther said, go and fast for me. She asked all the Jewish people to please go and fast because she was going to go before the king and ask something difficult. She's asking for God to pave the way. In Ezra chapter 8, Ezra got to lead a group of Israelites back to Israel. And he says he fasted before the journey to ask God to make their way. So in all of these examples, people are fasting in order to ask something of God. So think about this. What have the disciples experienced thus far? Well, they've experienced joy. They're watching people get healed. They've experienced celebration at this feast because Levi invited them over. Levi had a big party because his life was being changed. And he wanted to invite his friends, the tax collectors, to meet Jesus and also be changed. This is a time of celebration. And Jesus is like, they're not mourning right now because I'm here hanging out with them. Uh, They're not confessing because... They've done that. They've decided to follow Jesus. They're watching other people confess. And Jesus is like, there is time for celebration. And all of these religious leaders, Jesus is kind of going back to saying, why do you fast? Are you just fasting for show? Is it just, it could be a regular ritual. But Jesus is like, we have a certain point when we're fasting. And now's not the time. Jesus fasted for 40 days. We read about that. So it's not like he was against fasting. He's fasted more in those 40 days than I probably have in my life. But he fasted, and that was when a time he was coming before God, preparing for his ministry, and he needed this time to be close, to spend time with the Father. And now he's like, hey, there are times to celebrate. So Jesus said, they're going to eat now, because later 
other things are going to happen and they're going to grieve soon enough. Let's move on to verse 36. After being questioned about fasting, he turns it into a parable. Jesus said, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new won't match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. Okay, the religious leaders, they were perhaps using fasting in order to showcase holiness, right? They probably wanted to set out these regular times so that people would would see them, and, and they're trying to be a leader that models things, but we know that sometimes they get a little full of themselves when that has happened, and that's what Jesus was trying to call them out on, like, why are you fasting? But Jesus is saying, here's some metaphors. We've got the old, we've got the new. I kept thinking of you, Alicia, who was already, like, working on a garment right now, and I can imagine you wouldn't want to make a whole new garment and then rip it apart to go fix something old. True? I don't sew, but I could feel the vibe here. So yeah, if I'm going to wear something new, you know, this this metaphor makes sense in our brains, right? The wine and the wineskins, I I don't understand those methods. I always tried to follow that metaphor. I'm sure it's great. I don't want to lose any wine. That's good. It's good on Jesus. But basically, Jesus is like, look, these rituals that you have developed, those are great. Those are great. These habits that we put into our lives are purposeful if we're focused on the purpose. If we're fasting in order to connect with God, that's great. And Jesus is like, but at this moment, I'm going to bring up some new ideas. It's okay. It's still safe. It's still worshiping God. But Jesus is like, let's, let's let this breathe a little, right? Let's, let's try some new ways of connecting with the Father personal relationship. Jesus is like, I'm seeing you in the face. I am the son of man. I am the Lord. Come hang out with me for a little while. We'll do some new things. Let's move on to chapter six, because the next critique from the religious leaders is about Sabbath. They didn't really like how Jesus practiced it. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain. They rubbed them in their hands, ate the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Again, let's learn the rules before we break them. Sabbath was something God created from the very beginning of the world. Genesis chapter 2. The heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And on the seventh day, He rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Sabbath, this idea, this is not like this punishment from God. This is God saying, look, look, I'm just going to take time to enjoy. I mean, a God that wants me to rest, naps are great. I like this God. But God, I mean, He's a creator. He's kind of like all-powerful, infinite being. And yet he's like, I'm going to take a break. Did he need to take a break, like physically tired like humans? Doubtful. I think he chose 
to say, like, look, I've made all this stuff. I'm going to enjoy it. Do you ever work really hard on a project and you've worked on this for weeks, for months? It's been, there's been setbacks. You've gotten hurt. There's all this stuff. I'm thinking about house projects. Dylan always comes to mind. There's always, it always takes longer, right? But then when you're done, do you immediately want to like, okay, next, what's next? Or do you sit and enjoy? Do you sit in this room that you've worked on and look around and take pleasure in it? That's what the Sabbath is. It's a gift. The Sabbath was a gift to say, stop and look around and see what God has made and enjoy it. And the other thing about Sabbath was it's about trusting in God. Because as we've talked about, people worked for their daily bread. If there was not like refrigeration around where you just bought a bunch of stuff at the grocery store and shoved it in for later, they had to daily figure out where food was coming from. So to take a break for them, that's life and death. To take a break and to say, I'm going to trust that I'm going to have enough on this day without doing more. So here, see the Sabbath in a new light of rest and of trust. And God said, you know what? I made it. I enjoy it. Let's do this together, humans. And so in Exodus 20, God was creating a nation for himself. And he said, here's how I want you to behave. I'd like you to Sabbath every week. Verse 8 of Exodus 20 says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days, you're going to labor. You're going to do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it, don't do any work, not you, not your son, your daughter, not your servants, not your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I love that even the animals get a break. And did you know that every seven years, the fields had to take a break? They were supposed to switch harvesting from this particular field, give it a rest, and move over. All of nature needed a break. The Lord provided for this. But here's the thing. By this point in life, when Jesus is living, people were, they're a little worried. Because they're like, okay, we read Exodus 20. It says don't work. Great. I don't want to mess that up. So we need to define what work is. We need to get real, real picky. So at this point in life, they had kind of come up with, all right, let's define work. You can only walk this far and then it's work. You can only do this, not that. There were just all of these details that the religious leaders were like, we want to stay holy. Like the purpose was good. And like, we want everybody to stay holy, but they'd gotten so focused on the details, on the how. So they're like, okay, Jesus, your disciples are walking through and they are working. That seems like the littlest thing they could do. They walked by, they picked grain, and they're just like, pop it in their mouth. Like, does that seem like work? That just seems, that baffles me that that was defined as harvesting. Or they're not like plowing the back 40 with a bunch of mules. This, they're, they were just eating. And if you know that Jesus, when he called his followers, there were probably these young guys hanging out. 
Like, have you been around hungry teenagers? Like, they need their food. Snacks are important. If you're walking through the grain field and there's some food available, let them eat. Or they'll eat you out of house and home. Teenagers. But listen, here's the thing. I'm going to read. I'm going to get mixed up here. Okay, here's the thing. If the Sabbath was about enjoying God, what are the disciples doing? They're hanging out with Jesus. Check. If the Sabbath is about trusting him to provide, they were in a grain field. Jesus kind of led them there. Hey, they have food. That seems like they're living in the spirit of the Sabbath. And that is why Jesus responds this. Verse 3, chapter 6 of Luke. Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, took the consecrated bread, and ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is a Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is like, here's a rule, bending, breaking. He's like, David, this guy you revere in our culture, he did something kind of worse. But the point was, Jesus was like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made as a gift, as we said. And so he was trying to move their mindset from not being so worried about the how, but the why of Sabbath. There's another Sabbath. Verse 6, time has passed. On another Sabbath, we don't even know what week this was, sometime that they've already critiqued him over eating grain. And now Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching. And there's a man there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he's going to heal this guy. Like, stop right there. Are they caring and compassionate about the man? No, they're trying to watch and see if they can trap Jesus. Verse 8. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man, Get up and stand up in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to the Pharisees, I ask, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or do evil? To save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious, and they began to discuss one another what they might do to Jesus. We said that the religious elite had put all these details in place because they were trying to stay holy on the Sabbath. But they even had provisions for emergencies. If someone was near death, You were allowed to do work in order to save them. But probably they're looking at this guy like, well, his hand's going to be shriveled tomorrow, so why can't Jesus wait till the next day? But Jesus was like, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the chance to enjoy and praise God. Is praising God watching a man suffer for one other day or doing good, not worrying about it being Saturday? God had told his people in Isaiah 58. He tried to remind them years ago that Sabbath is about what's inside. It's about the why of your heart, not just the physical how you were acting on Sabbath. He said, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, like, great. Are you from doing what as you please on my holy day? 
If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, thumbs up. If you honor it by not going your own way, not doing as you please, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I think in that moment, Jesus knew in their hearts that the Pharisees, they're going their own way at this moment, right? They've got their own agenda about Sabbath. And Jesus is like, that is not the point. Sabbath is what's going on inside. It's about the why of what you're doing. Not just so you look good on the outside. So the religious elite, they're criticizing how Jesus fasted or didn't fast. How he acted on the Sabbath. They forgot the why of their worship. They forgot the why. They were worried about how they appeared. They were worried about being the ones that told everyone what to do. But they forgot that these things were for them too. Fasting was for their heart to connect with the creator. Sabbath was for them to enjoy Yahweh, the Lord God. And I can imagine, did it break Jesus' heart just a little bit to see something made for beautiful connection with God, and they were, they were missing it. They were missing the point. Back to that celebration you were thinking of earlier. Could you feel the connection with someone else? Is that why you chose that in your mind as being a happy day, an event you'll remember? And maybe your day wasn't going great until that moment that you connected with someone else. And that's what Jesus said. Like, he's indicating that he made these times of celebration and times of mourning. He made times of stillness and times of work. And it was all supposed to come together in a balance that was in a relationship. That's, that's the why. It meant nothing outside of relationship. So that challenge. Jesus wanted to disciple these Pharisees just as much as he was discipling those guys following him around. He wanted the Pharisees to see the joy that they were missing out on. He wanted them to reconnect with the why of their worship. And so every week we have been talking about how can we use these words in scripture and apply them on our own journey. So on our journey, how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? Don't forget the why of our worship. Why do we gather here every week? Hopefully to connect to God and to one another. Why do we get up and just go through the day? Do we pray? Do we go to small group? Do we go to our outreach events and Come here to worship on Sunday, sleep, eat, repeat. Sometimes it's easy to go through the motions and kind of forget about the why. I'm guilty of it. Do we just want to check things off our list? Does it become a habit? Or do we anticipate an encounter with the creator? Do we see that the things that we do reflect his image and that anything can change into an act of worship? Do we treasure that the people are in our lives or because God put them there? Routines are good. 
I need routine in order to have discipline and get myself into good habits. And yes, there are some days that I don't want to get up and do the thing. And sometimes it's good to do the thing with your body and then you get your mind and heart in line. I'm not saying that. And not every day is going to be a celebration. There's going to be mourning and acts of despair when we come to God. But let's just check in. And so we're not doing things out of habit. So that we're not just doing same, the same old way. But that we care about the why of our worship. That we truly come to worship God. So like Jesus took a break from fasting. But I tell you that I'm not really good at fasting. Because I like food a lot. And it's real hard for me to be disciplined. But maybe I should try to incorporate some fasting. Because that would challenge me to worship God in a new way. To think about the why of what I'm doing. Maybe for you, maybe it's hard to slow down for Sabbath. Maybe that's a challenge you need to try in your own life. But let's try to take on our worship practices in a new way. Change it up a little bit. If you pray by yourself, maybe pray out loud or write it out in a journal. Maybe something in that movement gives you a deeper connection to God. If you, like, not great at reading the Bible, maybe... Change versions and see a a whole new different wording and that'll capture your attention or listen to it on audio and it gets into your brain and your heart a little differently. If you've been doing the same thing and wondering, like you need a new challenge and a way to connect to God, try serving a little differently. There's opportunities here at church or in your community. Push yourself to try something new. I think we can shake up Do something to remind ourselves the why of worship. Let's not miss the connection. I feel like Jesus, in those moments, looking at the Pharisees, created in his image, tasked to lead the people of God deeper into a relationship. And Jesus was like, don't miss this connection I was trying to create with you. I feel like he can look at us in the same way. He can look deep into our eyes, look into our hearts and say, have you missed the connection I've been trying to create? There's no time like the present for changing that up. And we're going to do communion right now. And this is something we do every week, but I want us to, let's think about it. Let's think about our why before we even go through our motions. Why do we have a piece of bread and a cup of juice that we eat and drink every week? It's because we're trying to engage our senses so that we can engage our heart and connect with Jesus' sacrifice. He taught some great lessons on earth, but his whole purpose was to die, was to raise again in order to take care of of our eternity. And so we try to remember that every week in a very physical sense. So let's use this time to have communion together. We're going to have people serve at two tables down front. And when you feel connected to the why, when, you're, when you know why that you're walking down the aisle to take the bread and the juice, then I pray that you'll do that and that we'll connect together and to our God. 
in this act of worship. Let's pray together. God, thank you for not only making so many ways for us to connect to you, but demonstrating. Thank you that Jesus lived out celebration and he lived out times of grieving. And that he knew the right times to be still and he knew the times when it was okay to be active and care about other people who were hurting. Help us, Lord, when we're too focused on the how, when we're very worried about how we do things, just, just give us that nudge, God. In your spirit, nudge us to remember the why. That we do what we do because you want to be in relationship with us. Thank you for this time of communion that we can remember, that we can remember you coming to earth and that you dying and raising again for our sins. We thank you for this time to worship. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.